Cloud Inspires. Verhale in Manson, achter Cloud Transformation. Episode 13 with Stefan van der Wiele. And the topic Microsoft Entra, Present and Future. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Cloud Inspires. It is, I think, two or three months ago that we recorded our latest episode. But hey, we are finally back. And with me, Gregor. Hi, Gregor. Hi, Thomas. Nice to meet you. How are you? Long time no see um, when it comes to this podcast. But um, there was a really, really busy time, I guess, because a lot of conferences uh, was in place. And yeah, how was your uh, latest uh, last week's? Oh, yes. Was you mentioned, you have so many conferences, uh, especially in September. I mean, it was six conferences, I, one conference per week, and it's not enough. And yeah, not, uh, I think all the conferences going to September was a fully, was really a full September, but also a really good September and really great to see the whole community back and to see, to have the networking part and also was really uh, fun and uh, also sometimes a challenge, but what's your experience in, in especially in the September? Yeah, it was really interesting because um, same on your side, we um, had some speed engagements, but also our own conference with the Cloud Identity Summit in Bonn. And um, was really cool to have both uh, views uh, of the, of the uh, site. So uh, as a speaker, but also an organizer. And now uh, we're recording this episode on the day when uh, the Ignite kicks off. And, Absolutely. Uh, I think that is uh, one important um, yeah, event for every Microsoft um, expert. And so it's the right time to record this episode. And uh, it is also a great pleasure that we have one of our speakers from this year's Identity Summit, but also on the, I think it was the first year of uh, the Identity Summit in 2020, uh, when our guest has uh, held a session about password rights. Yeah, I, I uh, can remember it. Yeah, and um, there are not some new cool topics like uh, verified IDs. So a lot of um, interesting use and upcoming features or uh, trends in the identity space. And that was, I think, the motivation behind uh, this episode. And without uh, further words, we like to welcome and introduce Stefan van der Wiele. Hi, Stefan. Hey, Gregor. Hey, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Great being on, on your podcast. And um, yeah, uh, it, it was also great meeting you in person a few weeks ago in Bonn at a great event. So thank you again for organizing that. That was a really awesome event. Looking forward to next year. <laughs> thank it was you. our pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. And we are not quite sure if we name you Stefan, Stefan, which will be more the uh, the German style. <laughs> so what will be your favorite one? Uh, so th this is always fun. I, I, by the way, I really like it that uh, basically everyone nowadays asks, like, how do you pronounce your name? So in, in the Dutch way, it's Stefan. Um, I oh, always okay. I, I always say to the uh, to the uh, the Americans uh, and, and there's a reason behind it. It sounds like State Farm know the insurance company and that's basically because once i talked to a i think it was an alexa speaker and i i said my name and then she said do you mean state farm and since then I just thought everyone 
you pronounce it as State Farm. And um, I actually had someone recently on a call, like mumbling, oh, State Farm. And then I was like, oh, Stefan, hi, <laughs> nice to meet you. So uh, so yeah, that's uh, kind of the, the way to pronounce it. Um, although I, I kind of listened to uh, every uh, version of how you pronounce my name. Although once I made a mistake, um, when I was with, on, an, on a school trip with my daughter and her friends, and I was like the, the, the people looking over that small group of kids, and then asked me, what's your name, what's your name? And I just said, oh, you can just call me Hey You. I can highly recommend you not to say that to a group of nine-year-olds, because it was the whole day, Hey You, Hey You. Um, so yeah, but <laughs> Stefan, that's it. <laughs> that's my name. Yeah. Okay, good to know. I, we will try it. <laughs> yeah, try it once. Hey, you. Oh, yeah, it's me. <laughs> hey, you. It's also good. <laughs> and if you like to know what are the different, um, yeah, how you can written your name in different style, you can go to a Starbucks and you have a free uh, style version of your name as well, right? D so, definitely. Yeah, I, I in the US, I just say Steve. Then I definitely know that it's, most of the time correct but yeah <laughs> okay great yeah uh, so stefan uh what what is your background so what was the reason that you joined the um identities uh access management uh space as an expert or uh, what was your motivation to become an it professional oh yeah so th that's the the motivation to become an it professional is it goes back actually when i was i think 12, so that's a long time ago. Um, I'm I, I'm always happy, like when I hear people that don't know what they want to do when they grow up. Uh, I knew that as a at a very young age. Uh, I basically had two main passions. One of them is IT, computer stuff. The other one is radio. And then I figured out that probably with IT stuff, I could make a lot more money than with radio. <laughs> and there are way more like career chances in that. So as that, um, I, I don't want to brag about as that 12 year old or I think 14 year old, I decided let's focus on IT um, and then leave radio as a, as a hobby. Um, so I, I actually picked my follow-up uh, schools uh, really specialized in IT. Uh, so I have a bachelor in information and communication technology. Uh, and after uh, after going through my uh, university period, I worked at a school. Uh, and that school, because Microsoft likes to give away stuff to education uh, organization, education organizations, I could try out every Microsoft product that was there. So I started actually with NT4, uh, migrating it to server 2000 to 2013. I work with Exchange proxy server 4. Really? something. Yeah, <laughs> that's old stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and go to TMG and all that stuff. But uh, when I, after I, uh, uh, when I needed to write my thesis, I was like, I did a lot of Microsoft stuff. Is this really like, am I really that Microsoft guy? You can, you can say yes now, but back then I didn't. I want to try something different. So I actually looked for a place to write my thesis, which would only do Linux. Um, so I found back then a not small, but a kind of a startup fuel company. And it's, I'm not sure if you know it, but it, it was called Hives. And Hives was like the Dutch Facebook. It was actually back then, like 
10 times bigger than Facebook when we're talking about, I think 2007, something like that. Um, so, uh, and they completely compiled everything from the base on uh, Gentoo Linux. So it took me two days when I came in to compile my laptop with OpenOffice to <laughs> even be able to write something. Uh, but it was a great experience. I, I built a performance benchmark framework in Python, but did figure out that this is cool stuff, nice to know, but Microsoft is the way to go for me. Um, so that's where I, after, after uh, university, I, I joined the Microsoft Partner. Um, and at that Microsoft Partner, uh, they figured out there was some new product or new version of a product coming out, which was back then called ILM2. And the two was between quotes because it was still a preview version, um, which of course is identity lifecycle management. And they figured out that we need someone who knows how to write some code and someone who knows about infrastructure. Now I told when I got hired that I do know how to write some code, which is actually, it's true. I'm not a, like a, a full-time developer, but I do know how to write and read it. And, and that I know about infrastructure. So they were like, okay, we're gonna give you two weeks <laughs> to learn the product. Uh, and then we're going to go to the market with it. And um, so this is where basically the identity stuff started. I never picked identity as being the, the one thing I wanted to do. I just basically rolled into it. Uh, I also have some experience with other products uh, which weren't a great success. Uh, for example, there's one reason I never touch uh, System Center Configuration Manager again, is that we did a project at that partner and we just installed all the servers, the whole environment, everything. Everything was just up and running, Active Directory, everything. There was in the time uh, that we didn't do cloud stuff. It was all on-prem, but it was on Hyper-V, new stuff. And then I was like, uh, I want to test my Windows 7 deployment. And I went into uh, the collection and just pressed deploy Windows 7 to all computers. I was like, I want to go. So there were, we were sitting together in one room and I saw on screen after screen after screen next to me, I saw the servers rebooting and installing Windows 7 on all oh, no. the servers that we just <laughs> configured. We needed to start all over again. So that's um, that's the reason I never touched that network again. But that's how I, I, identity started. Um, and this was why you changed to the identity access management team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good motivation, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it, 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 uh, there was someone on, on Twitter asking, I, I think it, it was uh, Scott Hanselman recently, like, what was your biggest mistake, mistake in IT? And I replied with this one. And actually a colleague from back then replied to it. Oh, I still remember that, that that happened. That was one big mess. Uh, but I, I learned a lot. It cost me a few free days to compensate for the time that we needed to do to uh, build it again. But it, it was a great lesson that I learned there. Uh, but then identity was the big thing. Um, also did some security. I did the, uh, the whole, whole forefront suite uh, as a team. So TMG, uh, uh, UAG, um, all those funny things uh, like UAG. The most cool thing about the product is when you put it in debug mode. It doesn't matter how good the installation is running. The first few things that will go into the debug log is says, this should never, ever, ever happen, explanation marks. And that's in every UAG uh, installation. Uh, I, I used to have a block which was called forefrontblock.nl. Uh, then Microsoft decided to ditch the whole forefront name. Uh, yeah. And then, and yeah, that, that's when I 
stop working on those products. So. <laughs> I, I think we, we must uh, explain for uh, for every listener of our podcast that uh, has not um, worked in uh, in the security area that uh, Forefront was the Microsoft Defender product family name yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, many, many years uh, ago. ago. Yeah. That yeah. would be a good, uh, good comparison. Yeah, and that, TMG that, that was that, really yeah. a favorite product in many, many environments, I think. Yeah. Definitely. So actually the TMD, so the threat management gateway, uh, and the, before that it was called ISA server. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Internet security. I don't know what the A stands for. Yeah. Yeah. Accelerate, that's what I thought too, yeah. But for the pricing of that product and what you could do with it and how like advanced it was, because I remember when Microsoft announced to stop with TMG, I was like working at that partner. And with a team, we actually looked into the whole market for an alternative for our customers. And it was, we didn't find any product back then that could do the same as TMG wow, for the crazy. same price. So yeah. it, that, was, that was really good. Um, yeah, from an INT perspective, so basically, long story short, but I always have long stories, but uh, how I joined Microsoft, uh, actually I first joined as a vendor uh, for six months. Uh, so Microsoft runs uh, Active Directory Rapid assess uh, Assessment Programs, although I don't think they do them anymore or there's a small cloud version of it. And basically how that works is that, you know, like the Microsoft financial year ends at the end of June, and then a customer still have a bag of money that they need to spend. So they're like, where should we spend it on? Oh, maybe we should check the Active Directory if it's still okay. So let's do such a program. Uh, the problem with Microsoft was is that they, they couldn't scale that big to serve all those customers. So someone came up with a, pro with a, pro a good idea, we're gonna train partners. So month-long intense training, deep dive into Active Directory, uh, and then uh, you go to customers and you go to those AD reps. So they ask all the partners that they were working with, can you send in some resumes? Mine was picked out. I was actually one of the five people on that, uh, let's say, preview program. Uh, I went to Brussels for a, for a course, then to London or actually Reading uh, for like, how do you deliver such a rep? Um, and then I delivered one rep, and then that year customers didn't want to have many AD reps. So I ended up talking about load balancing at customers. <laughs> I, I, I replaced someone in Norway to deliver a Windows 2008 R2 upgrade course, um, which was very interesting because they asked me on Friday and the course started on Monday. And there's a weekend I, between that. I know. <laughs> so I, I took the weekend to look through the slides and basically went there and Let's do this. Uh, so that was fun, but it ended after half a year. And I was like, oh, Microsoft's great. I want to work here. Uh, but at that point, they couldn't get, get me in. There were all kinds of, of stuff arranged. Of course, they don't want to steal people from partners. That's that's a big thing with the Microsoft. Um, so half a year later, I found an opening at Microsoft for consultant, identity and access management consultant. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Let's apply. Um, I didn't hear back for a long time. So I asked a few contacts that I knew from the time that I was there. And supposedly the recruiter was replaced with someone else. And my resume was somewhere lost. So they found it, got into the interview loop. And seven months later, <laughs> uh, I got hired as a consultant within, uh, within Microsoft, um, which was really great. Um, so this is uh, now nine years ago, uh, mm, on the, yes. on the really 1st of October. Yeah. Time. I know. Well, it's and also uh, a jubileum today, uh, this month. 
Uh, yeah, so the 1st of October, it, it was, although they don't give you a statue for nine years, but next year I'm going to get a new, they give you statues every five years. Uh, but yeah, nine years uh, and also five years now in the identity division. Um, oh. and, and how I ended up there is first I was a consultant. Uh, then I, uh, after two and a half years, I internally applied for a job as global, uh, global black belt. So that's technically, uh, back then, the whole name was uh, Enterprise Mobility and Security Techno Technology Solution Professional Global Black Belt. I think that was the, <laughs> the longest title I ever had, uh, but it was uh, technical pre-sales for the EMS, so Enterprise Mobility Suite, which also includes Intune and SCCM, but I stayed away from that stuff. Um, and I focused on identity, and um, I did a lot of um, uh, sessions internally on identity. That's where the product group basically noticed me, and... Um, they back then they just started to extend to hire people not in Redmond. So I was actually the first one on my team uh, from outside of the US. Um, so I went through an interview loop, got hired, and that's five years ago. And still in sort of the same team. Let's put it like that. It's uh, the, the team itself split it up into three different teams because we grow. Uh, really big in the past five, year, five years because identity is a booming, it's a big thing, right, that, that we're doing. Uh, so that's that, how I ended up here. I, again, I wanted to make it a short story, but <laughs> longer <laughs> yeah, than but I wanted. It's yeah. really interesting also. Yeah. But when when we take a look at, and you, you mentioned the, the, the uh, grow, growing of the team about the, the, the focus of identity and so on, what is your what did would you think is the biggest changes in the and transformations the identity and access management over the last couple of years like five or ten years? Um, I think the the biggest thing that drove identity to be shown more important is everything around the zero trust uh, things that are happening, where finally people start to see like ooh identity that complex thing that we that the Active Directory thing that we add thousands of groups to and don't even look at it, maybe it's more important and getting more important. Now we're not only in an on-prem world, even though it was also important back then, but still, but we're we're extending this. So we need to take, we, we need to uh, better look at it. So that's really one thing that, uh, that accelerated before the pandemic, uh, the identity piece, then you can probably imagine what happened when the pandemic started. People started to work from home. This became way more important, yeah. but also the security piece, right? Because now we're that identity is is the front the front door to access to an environment, and we don't have that those big walls and disconnected infrastructure. Everything's connected, so you 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 need to protect that and that's one of the other big things that came in because protection is not only like identity protection detecting if credentials are leaked protection is also your whole governance process around your identity like making sure it, the identity or the account doesn't have too much rights enough rights that if someone leaves a company you actually remove the account like i personally witnessed when i when i moved to microsoft I could still sign into the webmail uh, of uh, of the place that I work for six months. Um, that's not the case anymore now. Everything, but those are the things nobody thought about, and then became very important. And that's also where we've seen the biggest grow um, in that. And I think with with Azure Active Directory, you also simplify 
uh, how you can leverage identity in your advantage. Because in the past, where you wanted to do something with federation uh, and you needed to set up ADFS, you needed to make it high available, you needed to put in load balancers, proxy service, protection of your keys. And now it's just one switch in Azure AD and you can do federation. Um, so I think that's that. That's the those are the key things that we've seen the, the grow um, of, of identity over the past few years. Yeah, and I think that is also the role that has changed for uh, IAM administrator or Active Directory uh, admin uh, from, from running the systems to the main controllers, installing patches and the, all the stuff. And uh, now we can see all the products alongside of the core functionality of doing simply authentication, authorization stuff. Because when people are asking, hey, what, what is your daily job? Uh, username password management, what? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now a lot of things are around security and governance. So maybe the 1,000 time question that you heard in the last two or maybe uh, recent weeks, so what is this Microsoft Android thing? And why, why we have now, uh, an, another name or another um, product uh, family, uh, which which covers AJD as well. Yeah, so um, I always eat the lab when someone says Entra. It's it's because the when we first launched it, a lot of my uh, colleagues, especially from the US, started to call it Microsoft Encarta. Um, <laughs> So, um, so no, the re the reason why we started with Microsoft Entra is that, uh, of course, we we still have we still have Azure Active Directory and everything's there, but identity is way broader than only the Azure Active Directory product. So we wanted to have a brand that will would span all the different identity products that we have today and that are coming in the future. Another reason is is that Azure Active Directory leave some confusion sometimes with people that it's for Azure, uh, when actually identity, it doesn't matter where the workload is running, is it in AWS or in GCP, in the Google Cloud, uh, you still need that central identity point. So it's cross cloud. And I think that's the one thing you also see with Microsoft Entra, it's an identity solution cross cloud. It doesn't matter where your workload is running, we can provide you with the multiple tools uh, to to cover that whole identity uh, uh, cycle. Um, I think one example here, what, what I can give, and also because it's my personal passion, I'd like to give this as an example. But if you look at Microsoft Entra Verified ID, which used to be called Azure AD Verifiable Credentials, uh, we can you can now see that it's way more separated from Azure AD because it's a solution that doesn't really matter like where uh, where you use it. It's it's across cloud. It's uh, it's on, on top of that. Doesn't mean that there's no going to be no integration between those products, right? Because it's an easy win to say, oh, we have this Microsoft Entra Verified ID product that you can use wherever you like for decentralized identities. But we also have this button in Azure AD. If you want to use it with one of the functionalities, you can just turn it on and it's done. Um, so if you look at Microsoft Entra, it's not a new name for Azure AD. It's, uh, it's not a full rebranding of Azure Active Directory because officially Azure Active Directory is now called Microsoft Entra Azure Active Directory, which according to the marketing guidelines during a meeting with a customer, the first time I name our product, I should say the full name and then I can abbreviate it as, as uh, Azure AD or Azure Active Directory. But um, Azure AD is just what it is. 
it's just part of this family of identity products where um, we also have um, uh, verified, uh, verified ID and Entra permissions management as a separate workload. And also Entra permissions management is also a product that out of the box integrates with AWS and integrates with GCP. So I think that also shows like these specific products are really like cross, uh, cross cloud products. And maybe not only cross cloud, also in hybrid settings. Although uh, for some parts of the product, there, there's some wins to make there, but um, yeah. Yeah, that will be also interesting to see. Um, we have, I think, uh, different directions that will be more and more clear. So Microsoft is really pushing um, the capabilities to manage uh, multi-cloud environments. I think five years ago, the big uh, big direction was, hey, we uh, established a way to cloud, make everything hybrid. And now the multi-cloud um, story is an additional dimension of, uh, of the whole, uh, whole platform. But what will you say about people that uh, are still mostly running on-premises this uh, workloads, and now you're talking about multi-cloud, and they are still on the way to to become hybrid and uh, start the cloud transformation? Especially in Germany, we have a different situation, I think, uh -huh. compared to to other countries. So, do you see some some challenges in the different? levels of transformation or speed in the identity landscape uh, from your customers? Yes, definitely. And, and I think you, you put out a great point if you look at the different countries where you have the different uh, legislation also in place. I know like Germany is very keen on privacy. Um, one funny thing, sorry, I just thought about in there's one city in Germany, I, I forgot which city it is. They actually have a, a, a dedicated area at a bus stop uh, where it says this area is not under surveillance of a camera. So if you want to keep your privacy, you can wait in this specific dedicated area because we <laughs> positioned the camera not to film this specific area. So that, I think that definitely says like how keen Germans are on their privacy <laughs> If it comes yeah, to that, we have some uh, interesting challenges here. <laughs> yeah. So, but but with with that, I think uh, so. So so what you see with cloud adoption is that in the U.S. there's a huge cloud adoption, because privacy in the U.S. Um, even though some people would say is not that strict as it is in Europe, I think in general, and Germany is actually a way stricter version of of what's happening in Europe. So you see that the cloud adoption in the US like went very quickly because people didn't, of course, at some point, like you need to have some certifications, you care about where your data is, but it's not that strict as we had in, in, in Europe in general. Um, I think what changed here and what we also learned is that uh, giving just openness and clarity uh, about how we run the service and where your data is located. Like we, we introduced years ago, a specific EU region where we basically say all your data at rest uh, stays in, in within the EU, uh, EU, EU region. Uh, and then we also published a white paper. It's the Azure AD uh, data white paper, which talks very, very deeply uh, or very deep on how does Azure AD store its data? How do we protect it? What is the protection mechanisms we're using? And how does the synchronization work? Um, and then another example, I think, is where, where we learned something is on password hashing. 
which is always like a trigger. Um, I think that's in, in Germany yeah. as well. Um, one thing we learned is that if you publish documentation on a feature that is sending password hashes and not passwords itself, you shouldn't call the page password synchronization. You should call it password hash synchronization. If you would go back into the docs, you can probably find the old title of that one. Um, and then the other one is, I think the most deep dive documentation we have at the moment is on password hashing. How, like the encryption methods, how do we, how does it work completely on the do it? That's all because of more the EU related customers that, that needed to gain that trust to put on these type of features to enable other things. And, and in the end, like they benefit from these things as well. If I, I put on password hashing, next thing I can put on self-service password reset, uh, which can help like reduce help desk calls, but can also help remove some, let's say legacy functionality that we used to run to do those password resets. Uh, and, we, and we can start to use like modern authentication, uh, protection, multi-factor authentication, all these type of things will enable. Um, so, so yeah, from an adoption perspective, what I said, I think what's good for our team uh, is that we now are a worldwide uh, setup. So there's way more influence coming from Europe telling uh, the people who write the docs or even like we're building the, the product, how to better fit what we're doing to people in, in, in Europe or wherever that are more keen on, on, on privacy, data storage. And maybe they're not only more keen, maybe they're just, what I said, like legislation coming in. There's uh, audits that need to take place that require that type of information. So that's, I think, a huge, uh, huge improvement, which, uh, what I said, I've, I've been doing Azure AD basically since the start, where at the beginning it was so hard to convince customers, especially in Europe, to put on password hashing or to, or, or even to start using Azure AD. Like they only syncing two attributes, for example, or three, I thought three was yeah. the minimum, which is really blocking a lot of other stuff that you want to do. And that's, and, and, and I think with, with all this updated stuff, also because we now also listen way more to people in Europe, um, takes away those like sessions where you need to convince the customer to switch and show the benefit of adding a hybrid component to their identity setup. And I think the really interesting uh, question here is, and you mentioned also a lot of times the, the password hash synchronization and also, but do we need really a password in the future or what do you think is really more important the password less world so we discuss in the whole time about the yeah about the whole thing about password hashing synchronization and so on but in general i think it's more important to go a little bit away from password uh, from passwords but what do you think and what is your your improvements and from security perspective, the benefits of passwordless? So, um, yeah, I think we're definitely moving moving away from passwords to passwordless. You can also see that it's finally also adopted by other companies. Look at the, the, the passkey functionality being added to iOS 16, for example, uh, which makes it way easier to use a passwordless, a passwordless uh, method. I think there are basically two things with, with there, there are a few things with, with passwordless. First of all, uh, adoption also depends on support of the workloads that 
that you have. That's the big right. modernize the authentication for those workloads. That's the first step. Um, and then you can just then you can enable that passwordless thing, which not only makes it easier for the end user, because I like how easy it, for example, take Windows Hello for Business. I just walk up to my desk and show my face. And I'm actually signed in with multi-factor authentication. And I have access to all the, the resources. And it is really multi-factor authentication because it's something I have, which is my face, and something I own, which is my laptop. And that combination yeah. is two factors, um, which uh, in the beginning, I know the beginning of Windows Hello for Business, people were like, so now we only need to enter a four-digit PIN and it's more secure than a password? How does that work? It's huge discussions there. What yeah. um, I, I think with things like passkey becoming available, adoption will be way better because there are a few, like we now have three supported ways for passwordlets, which is Windows Hello for Business, which is the Microsoft Authenticator app, and which are FIDO, uh, FIDO2 devices or keys. Uh, all three of them require uh, a, let's say, more specific type of hardware, right? I need to be, I need to be able to support Windows Hello for Business. I need to have uh, Windows 10 version higher, all that type of thing, hardware that does support it. With the Authenticator app, um, I need to install a specific app on my device and maybe it's my private device and maybe you're not even allowed to install it on there. And then with FIDO keys, you need to buy them. Even though like nowadays they're not that expensive anymore. But uh, for example, if you look at uh, a frontline worker or first line worker scenario, if you talk about tens of thousands of people and buying them all a FIDO key, which are sometimes people that uh, work a few hours a week, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but if you have different methods here that we can use, and uh, I'm saying passkey, but it also depends if they want to use their phone, but it's built in into the OS, right? So it, it, you don't need to install an app. It's just there to do so. Uh, it will become way uh, way easier. And I, and I think if you look at the future, nowadays you're already uh, able with your private Microsoft account to disable the password. That means that it can gets completely wiped from the system and there's nothing there in that password field. You only have a passwordless method and you can definitely expect those things to come to Azure AD as well, where you can go full full passwordless. So definitely the future from security and end user experience. How annoying is it to every time come up with a new password or how annoying is it that I need to have my phone with me when there's gonna be even a push notification, right? I need to approve it, type in the yeah. same number, it's it's not the best. And, and then with passwordless, I have the key that I put in there or I show my face, done. It, it's a way better experience. So probably the adoption of and the enforcement of security will be way higher. Yeah, no, I, I think that is that's an important point that you uh, mentioned also for, for uh, what is coming in the near future, because I, I've read uh, an interesting interview with Alex Weinert um, at the Experts Insights um, webpage, mm -hmm. and he uh, shared some statistics about MFA adoption. Mm -hmm. I was really shocked about it was something like 25% of every account is protected by MFA. Yeah, and, it's um, really low. Now, yeah, and now I think some organizations, or the, I hope the most organization, uh, especially that I know, has already uh, adopted Windows Hello, so they do it uh, in the way how it exists today to get passwordless. Now we have a next iteration and the capabilities to bring that to, to any device. 
um, and have a, I hope so, better adoption of MFA uh, as well. But yeah. What do you think alongside of um, eliminating passwords from our um, accounts? What will be the next big thing in the identity space that will be, um, I think, have also disruptive character to the market, what will change uh, to uh, the behavior or the security posture at every person? So there, there's um, there, there are a few things, things that are very far out still, I think, but are there. I'm going to come back to that one. And then the other one, which I think is a pretty hot item right now, is not only protecting human identities, but also protecting workload identities. And, and that's... Um, that's still a big gap at the moment, right? If we're talking about passwordless for uh, a human, it, we have a lot of options. We have a lot of stuff there. If we're talking about for a workload, and and maybe to clarify it, it's it's just an application. It, it's a non-human thing. It could be an IoT device. It could be an, an an API. It could be a website. It could be something that needs to authenticate itself. They're they're not that many options from a protection perspective. And there's also a lot of education to do. Because yes, you can use certificates, but when you use certificates, like where do you store those certificates? And there are options for that, right? We have um, managed, uh, managed identities for Azure, which will take away that whole problem of storing those things, but they're available for a specific set of workloads. It's not for everything. Um, and then you still see a lot of those workload identities using a client ID and a client secret. Now we can easily translate that to a username and a password. Right. And probably we won't want this application to be disturbed at some point. So we set the, the we make this combination valid for 10 years or something. Like we don't, oh, now it works, don't touch it anymore. And then we just, where do we store that secret? Oh, we do it in our code. And then we check it in into GitHub it's a perfect idea, but it, it sounds like I'm telling something that you would think, oh, that's so stupid. Nobody would do it, but it's so many, it happens so many times, like on a daily basis, credentials show up on GitHub, people checking stuff in. And that's also where you see like within the Microsoft Entra suite, uh, what we announced at, at uh, Ignite is Microsoft Entra workload identities. Um, it's cross-cloud protection of workload identities. So it will bring identity protection for those workload identities. So even if my workload identity gets on GitHub, we detect that it's leaked and we can warn you and we can protect it. And then I think the whole managed identity, uh, um, um, managed identity for Azure is a key thing to educate people on the other one is workload identity federation, um, where when we're talking about GitHub, if I want to do something in a workflow in, in on GitHub and I need to go to an API, I need credentials. I need to store them somewhere. And <clears throat> with a workload identity federation, I don't. I just trust the token coming from a, a central provider, so I don't need secrets. I just request a token and. Uh, that will that will give me access, which uh, makes it way more secure. I see that as the on the short term becoming the next big thing. How to protect that? And also, if you look at, for example, Entra permissions management, which looks looks at over permissions identities across cloud type of systems, including those workload identities. That whole story together. That's the one thing I think uh, not only important, but we need to tell 
people that it is important because it's it's such a huge gap right now in the whole zero trust story. But that means to to, to have that as a follow up question. That means also how important it is that we have a full visibility of all identity assets, including um, um, IDPs outside of AJD, right? If we are federating or trusting GitHub IDPs, uh, then we should have also the visibility on sign-in activities and the posture management of GitHub, right? Yes, definitely. And I, I think that's also where a product like Sentinel comes in to right. consolidate all that information. So it uh, <clears throat> makes the whole circle around now yeah, with right. all, the, all the products there and all the data, data you get. Uh, no, definitely. Uh, that's important. Uh, the, the other thing, which I'm not sure if it's going to be that disruptive thing or if it's really going to be big, but I hope so, because I'm <laughs> very excited about it, is the Microsoft Entra <laughs> Verified ID or basically decentralized identifiers in general because microsoft Entra verified id is not a uh it, of course it's a product but it's based on all on, on on multiple open standards and what we can solve with this type of technology is the whole the biggest problem we're trying to solve with identity in general is trust and trust in a decentralized way and um i i normally start like a uh, conversation about it like I told you I'm Stefan and I have blue eyes. So you're probably going to believe me, but maybe I'm his twin brother. How can you prove that that is true? How can you prove that something is true where like we know each other, but if, if this is my first time coming in somewhere and we are, we don't have that trust relationship, what type of trust decentralized trust can we build to prove these type of things? And uh, there, there's so many scenarios here. Think about remote onboarding of someone within a company, which happens all the time now. How do you, like, I can hold my ID in front of the camera, yeah. but the, it, like, I can also have a beautiful, great printer. Are there actually any great printers? But that's not a question, but, um, and, and I can create my own ID and this fake being someone, how can we get that trust circle going? Now, I think this, even though the, our product is GA, uh, it, um, I still think it's it's very, incubation type of technology and the reason being is that a lot of standards that are behind it are now most i think all of them are now final but there are a few standards that are still in draft so yeah. we're still working on that um the other one is education um i did a few sessions on this topic and you could see people in the audience like oh, wait does this exist i have so many use cases to use this and then the other thing is is adoption like um, if, if, for example, I want to prove that it's me, I need a trusted entity, not me, because I can make stuff up, that issue me a credential that is verified that I can digitally send and you can verify that it's true. So that means that we need issuers like a government, for example, which comes back to uh, privacy type of things, especially I see that in Europe. In the US, there's there's a lot of partners that provide that, but in Europe, it's a different different story. So uh, that's one thing that we need to look after. Although the the uh, European European Union is now looking after an ID wallet, which works based on this technology, but it's still in the research phase. But it's one step. So let's see where we go with that. I can imagine this being a disruptive thing or nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. just the two options, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, it, it's just all about like agreeing on using the same standards because we are using a set of standards 
but uh, I can tell you like in the, in the Netherlands right now, there are all, already more than 80 wallet apps that like I think 60% of them use the same standard. And then you have 20% that use a different one. And then you have 20% that use a custom made pri pri uh, uh, yeah, their own standard. I can give you the best example ever, Apple. Cards in your Apple wallet is a proprietary standard of Apple. How that works, it's not a verified, verifiable credential. It's something that Apple made up and that app, you actually need to send your certificates to Apple because they will say this is a really a, a card there. They, it's a centralized setup, not a decentralized one. So hopefully at some point we can convince Apple to just adopt the standard. As <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. a you would agree that two important factors um, are relevant for, for success. So um, the big companies are sharing the same standards, right? And mm -hmm. we have an easy way for user adoption, right? That's the same yep. for FIDO2 and the verified ID story, isn't it? It is, it is. And I, I think if you look at it from a user adoption, um, it, it is pretty simple technology. It, it's it's scanning a, how, how we do it, but it can be different ways, but it's scanning a QR code, which gives you a card in a wallet, which looks like a card and has information. And when I want to verify myself, I scan another QR code. Now, I think with the whole past years, people are <laughs> known how to scan QR codes. Yeah. Although I saw a lady recently when I was in a, in a plane and the menu of course is not a physical menu anymore it's a qr code and i saw a lady like struggling with her phone trying to do something with that code and didn't know how it works so there are definitely still people out there that 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 need education on how something like that works but i do think it is pretty easy just scan something with my phone and do, do so and um although the other thing would be i don't have a phone uh we could, could there be a physical device, something like that? So there are a lot of things to, to think about. I think the first thing we need to solve is all talking the same language, as in all using the same standard, really hoping the European Union would adopt the same type of standard, not to push our servers, but just to get one big landscape. Um, and, and, and then the, the, uh, the, 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 amount, of fair, the amount of issuers. Um, would be uh, those two things would be key to the success of this type of technology. So in, in a couple of years, maybe in the European Union, we only need a USB-C cable to charge <laughs> our uh, electronic devices, and we have a standard for our passports and all the cool cards in our wallet. <laughs> yeah, it would, would would be cool. Although there's a, of course a lot of people like asking questions around privacy and these type of things where. In the US, uh, there are a few states where you can get a virtual version of your driver's license or even your ID card, um, which, is a, which is a valid thing. And that's, again, the thing where you, what I said, where you look at the EU and the US, the US privacy, yeah, yeah. Uh, like in EU, we're way more strict around that. It's, um, it, it, just to give an example about privacy in the US, I thought this was a funny story where uh, some people just, uh, got an apartment in, in, in New York and Google approached them. They were like, do you already have an internet connection? No, 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 no. We can give you free internet. You only need to install this specific Google box at your home and it will send out a Wi-Fi signal and then you can do whatever you like. Uh, we do, however, check what you're doing and using that data and sell it to our partners to give you specific advertisements based on what you're doing, but it's free internet. So let, let's do it. it. 
and these are real, like real things happening there. Like I cannot imagine in, in, in Europe, like my provider coming up to me saying, I give you free internet, but we're going to spy on you. And then we're going to serve you with all kinds of like advertisement based on what you all already did. Recommendations. Yeah, recommendations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, just an example like about the differences there, but uh, still, and, um, and then of course in Europe, even though we are one European Union, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, it's still different countries uh, with different, very different cultures uh, and different languages. Although, yes, in the US, they also have different languages, like it's, it's, it's English, it's Spanish mainly, uh, but it's, it's and, and per state, there are things different, but it's more like merged as one country where the EU, it, it really is different. I, I always think it's funny when people from the US talk about, but you're from Europe. I'm like, mm, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't feel very Spanish or French. I feel more Dutch. And, and even though like the same with Dutch speaking people from the Netherlands and Dutch speaking people from Belgium are very different like type of people as it comes to culture. Yeah, and this yeah. really also is an interesting part of, of us. I think we have, especially in the, in the technical area, <clears throat> you have so many differences in the countries uh, and related also to privacy and so on and then you see so many different things in the adoption and so on but i think yeah it brings us a little bit closer and i uh, take a look at the time and the time is running so fast unfortunately but i bring it a little bit closer to our uh, special um, uh, special thing and uh, to our game and i hope you Ooh, are prepared well for world. this <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I told you like when we, when we were preparing, I'm very bad at games. Uh, and, and, and also I hate losing. So let's see how they go. Welcome to our show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I think it's, it's really easy for you, I think. Okay, let's see, let's see. So um, yeah, we have uh, the complete, complete, uh, complete sentence game and we will um, bring you some questions and you can uh, complete these questions or complete this sentence. And I will start with one. And this uh, uh, is in 10 years, Active Directory. So think about Active Directory will be. Still there. <laughs> oh no, okay. <laughs> I cannot imagine that uh, looking at a lot of companies and how integrated it is and how difficult it is to move away from a lot of those workloads. I, I cannot imagine it being gone in 10 years, even though I know it's the ambition of a lot of even big enterprises to move away from Active Directory. 10 years, definitely going to be there still. Yeah. I think so, yeah. As to the follow-up question, what will, be, um, what will be more easy, that the European Union will integrate uh, uh, verified IDs uh, within the European Union uh, so across all countries or um, that uh, Active Directory will remove a large organization, but that's just a kidding question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they're, they're both difficult to be honest. Okay. But yeah, I, I think they're at the same level. <laughs> oh, right. So next uh, sentence. One of the biggest mistakes in Azure AD implementation is <laughs> I need to be very careful here. <laughs> um, let, okay, this has got to be a, on, on a personal note, <laughs> but um, 
this is my opinion, is the way we handle source of authority. And that's biting us in the behind for a very long time. Also, if you're talking about let's getting rid of Active Directory, right? There's if you're hybrid, yeah. you're stuck right now, officially. Yeah. Um, it's it's just because when we started Azure Active Directory, we were like, this is the main store, the core store. This is where everything lives. And there's not another another place where data can come from. It's just in Azure Active Directory. That that was a great idea, although the how it is in the real world is is kind of different. There are multiple places where data lives and needs to come from multiple places. So I, we've been working on like I'm, I, again personal note fixing it <laughs> for a long time. But I think if we started out like more like if you know how MIM works, Microsoft Identity Manager uh, type of structure, uh, we would be way more flexible if it comes to source of authority. So again, personal opinion, uh, but this is the one I would think like, oh, please uh, let us fix this thing. We can enable so many companies to move fully to the cloud as well if we get this fixed. Sounds great. I think we're coming to the next sentence. Um, not everyone organizations has enabled MFA because of... Um, the first word that pops pops to mind is, um, I want to say complexity, but not about implementing it, but educating end users. And the other one would be, I, I still think a lot of companies are unaware of the risk. And this is the one thing it's always very difficult because we all know, like we laugh about this stuff when you don't, when someone got hacked because they didn't enable MFA. But I think that's the bubble we are in. We know about this stuff. A lot of yeah. companies, especially smaller ones, they don't think about, they only see MFA as annoying or it breaks something at a very legacy application. Uh, they, they are afraid to turning it on to break something that will ruin their, their daily work. Um, yeah. You're absolutely right. It's it's really um, a challenge to educate the end users and also what you, what you uh, mentioned some minutes ago about um, to bring the second factor on a smartphone, then not every every um, employee has a smartphone from yep. the from the uh, from the employee and then they have to use his own smartphone and also there was really the complexity I think of for enabling them. yeah. Definitely, and otherwise the alternative is a FIDO key, which costs money. Yeah. yeah. Um, although probably if you got like hacked or uh, uh, like the attacker signs in, well, what, what was uh, I think Brad Arsenal said this: like an attacker doesn't break in, they sign in. Yeah, right. Um, which I think is a it's it, it great way of saying because that's actually the case. They just sign. That's the, the most common way of an attacker to get into the network. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it definitely, it definitely that, um, we try to enable, get even also the smaller customers to enable MFA by making it free with the security defaults. And also on all new tenants, security defaults are enabled and we enable it on tenants to basically force that MFA. But Gregor, I think great point. You still need a phone with the authenticator app yeah. for security defaults. Um, which could be a challenge, definitely. 
And important side note, it is not an option to add a phone number, which will be routed to a Teams client that will be enforced to use MFA and not regular issue temporary access pass to satisfy MFA policies. I think there are two <laughs> options that makes no sense, right? Sounds, sounds also very creative. And then yeah. <coughs> uh, you also, of course, have the um, uh, enrollment process. Of yep. like people and that the temporary access pass is a great tool to get that going, which again uh, people need to know about it. About it, I, I, I like two weeks ago I talked to a customer that never heard of temporary access pass. They weren't aware that that even existed. Yeah, it's it's again what I said. Uh, sometimes you need to be aware of the bubble that you're in, knowing all this type of stuff because a lot of customers are doing a lot of they they trying to keep their Active Directory synchronizing between the domain controllers. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, instead of uh, instead of looking at all this new stuff that comes out, so yeah. Okay, so next uh, sentence. One of the most complex thing to learn and to know as an I I am expert is the authentication flows. Totally agree. <laughs> yeah, and and this is also why. Um, I always, the, the first thing I tell people when they want to learn identity is go learn the basics. And I, I still think that there's one system which is called the four pillars, which is the four A's, administration, authentication, authorization, and audit. You all need to know the basics of all four of them. How do I get users in? How do they authenticate? How do they get access? And how do I monitor it? And then what you said, like the authentication flows, if you know the basic, you basically know every protocol. And, and this is maybe a, a dangerous something to say yeah. for more technical people, but very high over, if you look at Kerberos, SAML, OpenID Connect, how it works, it's a token, a ticket that gives you access to something that you request by authenticating your, yourself. It, it's kind of this that level which I do think that's why it's important to understand how it works so you can apply it in your identity. Uh, when you, For example, when something breaks, if you know how it works, this sounds very simple, but it is the case, you have a way more easier way to debug it and figure out uh, how it works. Um, and, and, and after that, you can look into OAuth 2. And uh, I would highly recommend just look at the authorization code flow with Pixie and forget about all the others. Um, <laughs> although there's no, like client credential, maybe uh, yeah, it's um, could could be something as well. But, yeah. Last and question. And so, sometimes there's also DNS and certificate magic behind this. Oh no no. no. <laughs> Oh yeah, but it's certificate. Certificates. Yeah. I, 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 um, I did some direct access deployments. Where what do you not really do uh, this? <laughs> Sorry, but the first version you didn't have that null certificate. You needed to first deploy a PKI, and there was always like how many companies I came in, and then we wrote a design for PKI with an offline route and all that type of stuff, and then uh, and then they already deployed something. Uh, or there was something issuing certificates. It was and this was really one. complex. You also need yeah. to manage certificates on the client and the auto enrollment feature on the client. And also, I can yep. remember, I also tried this for some uh, companies and it was really a mess. 
if it worked, it was great because yeah, absolutely, you don't absolutely. you yeah. you you had you had like a tunnel before you signed in, so you could yeah. do your management. It was really great. Yeah, absolutely. No manual VPN connection, everything. We stepped away from that. I'm not sure if it's still in the latest server product. I know like there were some words about de deprecating that service, but uh, yeah, no. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Same with Forefront and RPC over HTTPS. That was oh. also some. <laughs> okay. That will be topics for next episode. Yeah. Good. <laughs> uh, last and I think uh, easy question for you. So to closing up, um, my favorite feature in Microsoft Microsoft Enter is. Oh, it, this this really depends on when you ask. But right now, it's verified ID. Okay. <laughs> um, but I also did, no, I think that's, uh, although the new lifecycle workflow stuff that we just launched, but it's that's public preview, right? But I'm really happy about that uh, because okay. now finally, uh, so that's also the, the identity governance in general is one of our biggest investment areas. So you could replace that very expensive or legacy old, uh, uh, provisioning system on-prem with, with Azure AD. I, I, I'm also very excited. Even it's the basics, right? But it's still like excited about that stuff, the integration with logic apps in lifecycle workflows, also cool. But number one right now is Verified ID. I think it, it's, I, I always like the incubation new type of stuff. And this, I, I see a lot of potential and it's, it, it, it's, it's interesting technology. Great. So, and I think in the future, there will be more and more other cool features. So there's still progress and we see some uh, maybe upcoming features here at Ignite as well. So first of all, thank you, Stefan, uh, for, uh, for being uh, part of this episode. It was a really great pleasure and it was Absolutely. a lot of fun to learn about your background. And um, I hope you had a little bit fun with with our game. Next time we will doing some more uh, fun questions instead of some deep dive questions about <laughs> what will be the future of Active Directory. But in the end, <laughs> thank you forward. so much. Thank you for having me. It was great. So much fun. And uh, hopefully until next time. Absolute thanks, Stefan. <laughs>